from Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug a deep, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. It's a delight to see everyone here this morning and those that are online. We appreciate your being with us as well. Uh, I have to tell you before we get started that I found, uh, as I was reading through the book of Acts uh, this past week, and specifically chapter 9, I found my what is now my favorite city in all the Bible. You want to hear it? Okay, to the two that nodded your heads. Damascus. Ray, that's Damascus. Okay. <clears throat> So that reminds me of, of, I've told you this before, driving home one time when our kids were still small and they were in the back of the van. We've just been to church and I, I did what I thought was, said something was humorous. And I said, I wonder why nobody laughed. In unison, my kids go, probably because it wasn't funny. Okay. So out of, out of the mouths of babes. Delighted you're here this morning. And I appreciate Ray mentioning those who are joining us online, and, and I learned just uh, this morning of that uh, new group in, in Maryland that are joining with us, and every, every week I look at that number of pe- online people who are participating in our worship with us, and I have to wonder who all those people are, and there are, there are hundreds of folks that are joining us online, and it's just a delight to know that we're talking to people and worshiping with people uh, that uh, we've never even really met. And then that got me to thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful after all this is over and we got the pandemic behind us if we could have a grand reunion of all the folks who've been worshiping with us online? And I know that's just probably not feasible. But then John led that song, When We All Get to Heaven. And I thought, we will get to see each other someday. And that will be a grand reunion. We'll meet people that we never met before. And they'll say, yeah, we used to worship with you online. And what a wonderful day that will be. I'm going to be talking about a little bit about what we've been going through for the last few months and, and what our response to it should be. I hope I'm not wearing this subject out, but I sense from my conversations that I have with people on a weekly and even sometimes a daily basis that this is obviously very much an issue in our minds. We're praying about it. We're dealing with it as best we can. We're taking our masks Everywhere we go, I don't know about you, but I got a mask designated for every vehicle that we own so that I don't have to go back in the house looking for it. And um, along for the day, just like you, that we'll be able to remove these masks, we'll have this pandemic behind us. But it is no surprise and it is not news to anyone that this pandemic has hit us all very hard, not just our economy, but our churches as well. And I hear stories from folks who, my friends of mine who preach in other congregations and fellow Christians in other places, talk about what they're doing, how long have they been meeting back together in the church building, if they have it all, and those kinds of things. And I realize that in some places it's hit folks even harder than it has us. I mean, who, who would have thought 
when we celebrated this incoming new year of 2020, that there would literally be months when the church would not meet at all physically here in this building. I, I, that was not on my radar screen at all. I don't know about you. But, but I know that all churches all over the world have had, at, very, at the very least, their routines upset. And one of the things that troubles me most is that on a few occasions I've talked to people who were already a part of a very small and struggling church who wonder if they will ever be able to come back at all. And I know that's tragic and it, it weighs on our minds. But especially here in America, where the pandemic has coincided and combined with social and civil unrest that has not really assuaged that much, churches have, have struggled to find their footing and to maintain their identities and certainly to maintain their focus. What is it that we ought to be doing and what should we be as, as God is navigating us through this period of a pandemic? And it's no secret that it has hit us hard as well. I mean, anyone who is a part of the university church knows just uh, six or seven months ago that we're not the same church that we were then. I mean, there's been some changes. Churches are, I realize, always evolving and changing, and people come and go, and, and whenever they do that, then the church obviously is not the same as it was before they came or they went, and that's just a given. But due to the pandemic that we have been experiencing, change has taken place with, with warp speed, and it's given us very little time to adapt and in some measure even to be able to catch our breath. But here we are almost seven months into it. I think it's time for us to take stock and to see where we are. See how God has blessed us even in a time of great difficulty and how that he will equip us and strengthen us and help us to deal with whatever the future may hold. Now, the pandemic and all that went with it uh, exposed some cracks, I think, in some congregations that they did not realize was there. But I do know that when all of this started, I, I found myself, and this is just me, I'm not saying this about anybody else, I found myself praying that, that God would get us back to where we were in early March and that he would restore to us that sense of normalcy that we had were experiencing before all of this started. But then I realized as time continued to go on and it was apparent that we weren't going to get this behind us anytime soon, that that wasn't, that wasn't a very good prayer. That maybe God had more in mind for us than us just being and, and, and going back to what we were. That, that our normal might, might not, not be good enough for God. That God wants more from us and out of us. Maybe he wants us more than we were. He wants us to be better than we were. So now I have a new prayer. My original prayer was for the church to go back to what I liked and what I was comfortable with. But now my prayer is that God will, will show us what he wants us to be and will guide us to be made more and more each day into his image and not ours. Someone, I think, put it very well in one of our Zoom classes a few Sundays ago in an adult Bible class. She said, maybe God is, is giving us an opportunity to become more than we would have ever been had we not had this pandemic. I think that there's a great deal of credence to that. There's certainly something worth thinking about. So maybe this is a wake-up call for, for the church to get as close to God as we can and, and to be able to let him strengthen us. Because it is a Bible fact that people grow most when they are experiencing times of ad adversity. Now, we don't like to admit that. We don't like to talk about it. We certainly don't celebrate it. 
You know, and, and we don't pray that God will send us hard times so that we can grow more. But the reality is we learn more from our failures than from our successes, and we grow more from our difficult times than we do from the, time, than the times when the sun is shining and the sky is blue. Again, whether we acknowledge that and want, want to acknowledge that is one thing, but it is a reality nonetheless because who knows, there may be even more struggles ahead of us. We don't know what the future may bring. But there certainly will be more opportunities. And one of those is the very one that I mentioned in the outset of this lesson, and that is seeing all the people that we're reaching online that we would never have had a chance to be able to contact and and communicate with and, and, and share the gospel with and help grow spiritually if we had not had this time of crisis. So the pandemic may have made us unsure about a lot of things. But one thing that we can be absolutely certain of And that is why there may be cracks in our faith. There are no cracks in the foundation of our faith. I want us to think about that together for a few minutes this morning. And the reason for that, of course, is that the foundation of our faith is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And if our foundation is something else, guess what, folks? We're all in deep trouble. But if it's truly, if it's true that Jesus is our foundation... If he is the bedrock upon which this church and our individual lives are built, then I'm here to announce to you this morning that we cannot lose. We will get better and we will get stronger because our foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. Drawing from our text in Luke chapter 6, if you've got your Bible open there, you might want to look at it again. Let me say that we can certainly build a house without a solid foundation because people do it all the time. And there was one of the two men that are focused on in that parable, and you can also find this in Matthew chapter 7, one of the two men was one man who who did not build his house on a solid foundation, he built it upon the sand. We know about that man, we know about his house, we've sung about it since we were knee high to a grasshopper, whether it was in a Bible class or in VBS, we know about the two men who built their houses. And so it's very possible. It is a distinct reality that a person will build their house on less than a solid foundation. But the point of, and I think the emphasis of the parable is for us to appreciate that if your foundation is solid, then nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, can bring down that house. Whether it's the storms of life, whether it's the tempests that are blowing against us, there is nothing that can bring down the house if the foundation of that house, of that spiritual life, is solid. If it's Jesus Christ our Lord. In fact, look at verses 47 through 49 again with me. Jesus said, whoever comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation Here's the key to it, on the rock, and when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a a house on the ground without a foundation, and when the stream broke against it, it immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now take that thought, if you will, and couple it with this Bible truth. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the Bible says Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. It was there that he encountered his disciples and he asked them this question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He had been engaged in his ministry long enough that he had had a great impact upon the people who were willing to listen to him, follow him from place to place, watch what he did, see the miracles that he performed, but most of all, to feast 
upon the words that came from his mouth. So now he's asking his disciples, you folks live out there among the people. Tell me, who do people say that I am? You may recall their response. But then the culmination of that great account comes when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responded to Peter's response this way. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he went on to say, upon this rock, that is the bedrock confession that Peter just made that Jesus was the Son of God, he said, I will build my church. And then he said something even more interesting. He said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's an interesting turn of phrase, both in the Greek and also in the English And I hope that we got that. The gates of hell. Man, if that didn't get your attentions, nothing will. And yet Jesus says, when I build my church, the very gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. They don't have an offense good enough to be able to beat our defense, is what he's saying. And and this is, of course, all pertaining to the church that Jesus promised to build and then did build. On the day of Pentecost is recorded in Acts, the second chapter. Now, the pandemic that we're going through is bad. The rioting and the social unrest is bad. I think we would all be in agreement. But it's nowhere close to the gates of hell. And when we're building four square upon the rock, then we can take it and we can survive it. And we can even thrive in it because of the solid foundation that each of us has. And I wanted to communicate that message to you this morning. And if I knew that we all fully grasped it, that we all had that in our hearts and we had our brains wrapped around it sufficiently, we could stop right here and sing an invitation song. But I I struggle with it, and I sense that others do as well. So let me add another Bible passage to the mix, and it's 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 and 11. Because the carpentry imagery is used in this passage as well. He's talking about building. Paul states, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. And here's, I think, the most important statement in all of this uh, passage. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that's pretty clear, isn't it? The foundation is Jesus. We're talking about God's own Son. And it has been given to us. That is our firm foundation that we sang about a moment ago. And it's up to each one of us, Paul says, for us to to build on it. I can't build a foundation for you, and you can't build a foundation for me. It is an individual and personal responsibility that each of us build on our solid foundation. It's much like Paul expressed it in Philippians 2, verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can make spiritual decisions for you. Nobody can even make the decision that I'm I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to be baptized and put him on in baptism. And I'm going to, to the very best of my ability, follow him, walk in his footsteps from this day on. Nobody can make that decision for you. And we know that. And Peter wanted the people on the day of Pentecost to appreciate that. And I think that's one of the reasons why in Acts 2 and verse 40 he said, uh, Save yourselves from this wicked generation. Who's doing the saving? Well, Jesus, of course, by shedding his blood. But it's your responsibility to have the appropriate, obedient response to that by deciding that you're going to make Jesus the King and the Lord of your life. So each of us have to build on our own 
foundation. But when we do that, Paul says we can't fail. We are guaranteed spiritual victory. And in some sense, I like to think that what we're doing here isn't just reopening the church. It's rebuilding the church. Making sure that our foundation is solid. That it is what God wants it to be. So a rebuilding of the church, it's like starting all over once a tornado has has leveled the place. Hadn't been that many years ago when the tornado came through Tuscaloosa. I know of one congregation that was leveled right at the slab. I mean, there was nothing left. And I'm reminded on those kinds of occasions when those sorts of catastrophes take place, that the church is the people and not the mortar and the bricks. The church is what you have left when the building burns down. That's, we need to be reminded of that, I think, from time to time. And that's what Paul is, is, is relating to when he talks about this building imagery and having the right foundation and each of us building on the foundation that God has given to us. So what we had before is not what we have now. But the foundation is still firm because it's the Lord Jesus. So what we need to do is to lay hold of that foundation, start there and build on it. And when we do that, we can't go wrong. I just, I I suspect most of you had already thought about that, but I wanted to make sure that we had. So what is it exactly that we need to do from this point moving forward? It's pretty simple. We need to make sure that we are disciples of Jesus Christ and not just members of the church. Let me say that again. We need to make sure, absolutely certain, If each of us is building on our foundation, we need to make sure that we are each one of us disciples of Jesus Christ and not just members of the church. And you may be thinking, but I thought they were one and the same thing. And you're partially right. You may remember back when the first church first started, as we referenced a moment ago from in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, that the biblical record says at the very end of that chapter that believers were added to their number, that is the church daily, such as we're being saved. I believe that's verse 47. And and all of that is absolutely correct. It is a matter of biblical record. And when you turn to Christ in repentance and you submit to him in baptism, then he adds you to his people, to his church, to his ecclesia, to his called out ones. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. But there's a huge difference, folks, in seeing yourself as a member of an organization versus being a follower of a person. I think we would all be in tacit agreement on that point. In fact, the word member is an organizational term. It identifies you as a part of a group. It means that you are a smaller part of a larger body of people. And a Christian is, in fact, a part of the body of Christ. So that part is true enough. We're squared away on that. But the word disciple is a relational term. And it implies so much more than just being a member of something. It means that you orient your whole life around someone other than yourself. There's someone who is worth your adulation. There's someone worth literally your worship. There's someone worth looking at, examining, scrutinizing their life, and then saying, that's the kind of life I want to live. What would Jesus do is a good question. How would Jesus live is a better question. How would he want us to live is a question of great relevance. And that's a part of identifying what being a real disciple is all about. So you orient your whole life around this person. Someone is shaping your thinking, is shaping your priorities, and your behavior, and even your language. In the New Testament, you know that followers of Jesus were called disciples far more often than they were called Christians. 
The word Christian is found rarely in the pages of the New Testament, or especially the word members. And if you want that verified, just go back and survey the book of Acts. I believe you'll find that to be the case. The appellation applied to children of God, most often in the New Testament, was the word disciples. I believe that's because God wanted us to get the point. The classic definition of a disciple, then, is a learner. It's someone who follows someone around. They're somewhat of a protege. We watch what they do, we listen to what they say, and we learn from them. But if you study the word disciple, you know that there's a whole lot more involved in that than just learning. Otherwise, we could just call ourselves pupils or students of Jesus Christ. But we're more than that. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. So we're not just learners. We're also, don't miss this, imitators, a kind of apprentice. But even much more than just the word apprentice entails. Because an apprentice goes home at the end of the day. While a disciple is going to be with and follow Jesus 24-7. Learning and following and, every, and, and imitating every nuance of his life and his character. So when you're at work, guess what? You're a disciple of Jesus. And you act like it. And you talk like it. Because your life revolves around Jesus. And as important, your life is based on the bedrock of Jesus Christ. He is your firm foundation. When you're at school, at home, when you're engaging in recreation, whatever it is that you're doing, you're a follower of Jesus first and foremost before you are anything else. If you're a true disciple, that is your number one priority in life. Let me illustrate this. Not a very good illustration, I admit, but an illustration nonetheless. I'm a member at Sam's Club. Stop looking at me so enviously. I mean, I have a card and everything. And I have a picture on that card that looks like Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't, I don't, I, I suspect yours does too. But the reality is, what that card allows is for anyone who is a member at Sam's Club to go into that place and to use their service, services and buy their products. That's the whole point. Let me tell you something. When I'm not in one of Sam's stores, he has absolutely no relevance to my life whatsoever. I haven't even met Sam Walton. But as a disciple of Jesus, there is absolutely nothing that I do, nowhere that I go, nothing that I am or ever will become that is not affected by my decision to follow Jesus Christ. For me, that's been a long, long time ago. I've told you the story, so I won't retell it. But I will say my dad was preaching. And I can't, I mean, it's almost as if it were yesterday. Although it's been 56 years. When I walked down that hard wooden floor, I used to put that green stuff on it and then sweep it up to keep the dust. Do y'all remember that stuff? Boy, that smelled. Used to use it in our classrooms. We'll use that on, in that old church building as well. Took me to a nearby creek and baptized me into Christ. My life has never been the same. I didn't have, even though at a young age, I probably did not understand or appreciate all the ramifications of what we're talking about this morning, of what it means to be a disciple, especially the firm foundation part of it. 
But I did know that something changed in my life from that moment forward. It'll change in your life too if you've not yet made that decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to make him your firm foundation, and to make him your Lord and Savior. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And here's another payoff. Admittedly, it is a secondary payoff, but it is still a benefit of being a disciple nonetheless. What we're going through right now with this pandemic and with the social and civil unrest that we've been experiencing will not be able to steal your joy. You'll still have the peace that passes all understanding, and you'll still have the joy that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the world doesn't know that, and they probably don't even understand what that means. If they were in here listening to us this morning, the average person in the world, about how that the circumstances of life cannot steal your joy, they would go, now, how do you get that? Is that in a, a, a bottle, or do you get that by way of a needle? No, neither one. It comes from the old rugged cross. It comes from bowing at that old rugged cross and watching the carmine stain drip down that cross that came from the body of our Lord when they nailed him there after they had scourged him. And then the Roman soldier came and pierced his side with that spear. When you began to follow that Jesus and make him your firm foundation, nothing will ever be the same again. And I mean that in a positive way. An optimistic way. Being a disciple means putting into practice everything that we learn from him, so that also implies that we're going to be people of the book. We're going to study this book, and we're going to especially lock in on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because we want to see what following Jesus entails, and, and what he did, and how he spoke, how he responded to people, even in adverse circumstances. In fact, if you go back to Luke chapter 6, which constitutes our text for this morning, you'll notice that verse 6, and I verse 46 rather, of chapter 6 includes this penetrating question. Jesus asked his disciples and wannabe disciples on that occasion, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not the things that I say? Well, good question. It's, question, it's a question that would take some guts to ask. But Jesus asked it because they needed to understand everything that being a disciple involved. And so why, why do you call me? Acknowledge my lordship and yet you're still not obeying me. You're not doing what I do. You're not walking in my footsteps. And I'm here to tell you this morning that, that while there are wonderful benefits of being a disciple and some of which we've just mentioned, being a disciple is serious business. We're not talking about something that we play with. We're talking about a gift of God that none of us could ever earn, that none of us will ever fully comprehend because it's all about obedience. That's why Jesus asked the question in the first place. We're not pleasing ourselves anymore. We're now trying to please him. And Jesus asked that question. Why did you claim to want to be my disciple and yet you're still not doing what I told you to do? And, and when you're a disciple, it means putting to practice everything that we learn from him. And I think that's the whole point of Luke six forty six, don't you? And the really good news is, when you're a disciple, and the worst happens that life can throw at you, you're not going to be thrown off course by it. Now, I don't care what it is. You will not be thrown off course. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that the vicissitudes of life will not sting you from a We all know that it does, that, that Christians hurt and we bleed and we cry just like anybody else. But it means that you still have your bearings. You still have your feet under you. 
You haven't lost your balance. You have maintained your spiritual equilibrium. Why is that? Because no matter what may come upon us, we're still following him. And he's still our firm foundation. He's still in control. He still, as the old country song says, he still has the wheel. And you know that. And you know that you can trust him to navigate you through the storms of life. And he can see you fully through to the other side. One more passage I want us to think about as we study this morning. And it's Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. I think it's a critical part of this discussion. It needs to be at least. Where the writer of Hebrews says by inspiration, wherefore or therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's what I want us especially to notice. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I really hope that you saw that looking to Jesus. That's the key to everything that we've been talking about this morning. If I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm going to constantly be looking to Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's the key to being the person that God wants us to be. That's the key to being the church that God wants us to be. Will you sing it with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strange Lead him in the light of his glory and grace So what do we need to do now? Individually, we need to commit ourselves as never before To being genuine disciples David Platt wrote a book just a few years back that some of you have read, I'm sure, because I've discussed it with a few of you, that was entitled, Not a Fan. And the premise of that book and the main point that he was trying to make and did make, I think, rather effectively is when he reminded us that when we signed on to follow Jesus, we were not just fans who show up when it's convenient to cheer for him and to pat him on the back and to sing his praises. That we are to be true followers of Jesus in every area of life, and that means even when it gets tough. And let's determine not just to be members of the university church either. Let's determine to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please remember that when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, in Matthew's account, in verses 18 through 20, he said, go and make disciples. He did not say, go make church members. He said, go make disciples so that... Uh, our concern is not for the numbers looking good in the church bulletin. That's just making church members. But making sure that we're making disciples and helping them to understand what involves in walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Because he went on then to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he added this, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you even unto the end of the age. So we need to begin at the starting place of discipleship. If you have not been baptized this morning, then you need to do that. And you cannot just start your discipleship journey until you do. That's what puts you into Christ, Galatians 3.27 tells us, as well as Romans 6, 3 and 4. But beyond that, you need to be willing to be taught. And that involves being taught by others, as well as being taught in your own individual, personal 
Bible study. You need to get into this book. And along those lines, allow me to suggest that you start by reading the Gospels, especially the book of Matthew. That's not hard, is it? Let's just start at the very beginning with Matthew's account and notice what Jesus did. Notice how he obeyed the will of his Father in every area of his life, how he interacted with people, how he prayed, what he taught, and determined just to do that. It's not really that complicated at all. But let's all make sure that we're studied up on what being a disciple really means and how to follow Jesus when the rubber hits the road in our everyday lives. Let's take our cues mostly from those gospel accounts that we've already mentioned so that we can be more than just church members. We can be real followers of the King of Kings. And let's study what it looks like to follow Jesus, the challenges, as well as the blessings, and even the sacrifices that are going to be involved. I guess what I'm really saying is let's be careful that we don't audit the Christian life. And when I use the word audit, I'm not talking about the IRS version of audit. I know that just makes people sweat. I'm talking about the academic type of auditing. An audit is where a person goes to class to get information but doesn't have to do any of the work. They don't have to do, take any tests. They don't have any homework. And they don't have to write any research papers. They're only attending for informational purposes. They want the data without the responsibility as the essence of it. So let's exercise great care, folks, that we do not audit the Christian life. Hopefully we'll all gradually find ourselves becoming more and more like Jesus. Isn't that the essence of the Christian life? At least according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, Romans 8.29 it is. We'll become, if we're not already, genuine disciples. We will be true Jesus followers. We'll be people whose whole lives are directed toward knowing our God more fully and living for him in every way in which he wishes for us to operate and live. That's what the church and the world needs right now in the midst of this pandemic. They need a firm foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do as well. And we know where it can be found. So we need to be getting the word out and telling people in a wonderfully positive and optimistic way that the answer to all the world's questions, even for people who don't know the questions, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to go back to the foundation of our faith, back to that perfect Lord and Savior, the one who gave everything for us and then calls upon us to give everything back to him in return. And when we do that, we can pillow our heads every night knowing that we are the church that God wants us to be. So let me ask you personally this, this morning, are you the person God wants you to be? Have you begun your discipleship journey by being baptized into Christ? If not, we bid you come while we stand, while we sing. Jesus is tenderly calling me home, calling today, calling today.